This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. I want to share with you this morning about being a father. Being a father. Now, I'm quite sure that for many of you here today, You have no doubts or concerns about your father's love for you. And uh, you can look back on a life and know that your father truly, really loved you and expressed that in so many ways. But I'm also aware that there may be ones among us today uh, that have no such memories In fact, it could be the opposite. You maybe had a father who was abusive, verbally or physically. You maybe had a father who was a bully, verbally or physically. You maybe had a father who had little or no time for you. So I'm aware of that. And so some of you perhaps have no memories of a father whatsoever. Uh, Perhaps they died or they left before you ever had an opportunity uh, to really get to know them. And so, forgive me then if this doesn't resonate with you, but at least you know that you've got a loving Heavenly Father who truly cares for you more than any earthly father could ever care. And so you've become a father. Everyone told you that it would be life-changing, And it was. You just didn't know how life-changing it was going to be. And if you've just become a a first-time dad, especially, uh, then you have got into changing nappies and feeding with bottles. And even though you haven't got natural mothering instincts, yet you persevered, you did your best, and now you're able to do that. Thank God you are a modern dad today. My generation of dads didn't even know how to do any of that. At least that was their argument. But today the modern man does all of those things. And uh, that's a great help for the mother. The mother-father relationship is very different, isn't it? Now I'm speaking generally at this point. It's very different in that the mother was the one who carried you in her womb for nine months, who had the trauma of giving birth to you, and uh, for many then, for months and months afterwards, was the one who nourished you. So as far as the mother was concerned, there was a very hands-on approach to you as a child. And therefore, there would be a bond, now generally speaking, there would be a bond there that would be different than the father-daughter-father-son bond simply because she was the one who brought you into this world. But today, because it's Father's Day, my focus really is going to be on being a dad. What do fathers do? What does God expect a father to be like? What would be his responsibilities? Can we foster a good relationship with our sons and daughters that would actually last a lifetime. Society expects and demands certain behavior 
from a father, specifically for the good of the child, but also in general for the good of the community, the society in which we live. God expects no less. In fact, God expects even more. And so God has given us fathers an incredible responsibility to raise up our children to be the next generation that will, generally speaking, outlive us and carry on in the way that we have taught them. It's quite a challenge to be a good father, and it's an even bigger challenge to be a great father. All of us, I'm sure, have made our parenting mistakes. All of us, I'm sure, there's things we wish we had done differently. But nevertheless, we, we tried. And I'm no expert in this, but I think, I think I've done okay. And I'll just say, amen. okay. <laughs> My daughter says, amen. Now, man, the reality is that we have generally no more and usually considerably less than 18 years to make a lasting impression upon our sons and daughters. Generally, by the time they get 13, 14, 15 even, uh, generally, if they have lived that amount of time with us, stuff is rubbed off for good or for ill. Uh, and when they become a, a little bit older than that, then obviously they start to make their own way in the world. They have their own mind. There's things they want to do that you may not agree with. There's maybe career uh, prospects that you didn't want for them, but they're growing up now. They're becoming adults and have got to make their own way in the world. But we hope that we have put enough into them in order for them to grow up to be a good citizen, and particularly as believing parents, to somebody who loves the Lord and whose heart is to serve Christ. And so during that period of them growing up, how we act, uh, how we speak, uh, how we live our lives before them during those years will have uh, an impact, an impression that will influence them one way or the other. And so responsibility is great. And it's a wonderful responsibility. It's a bit scary when you think about it uh, because the reality is we'll be held accountable for it at some point. Now, there are exceptions to the rule, but generally speaking, if you're angry and bitter, demanding, unfeeling, unsociable, hot-headed, bull-nosed, a bullying, abusive, verbal type of person, guess what? Don't be surprised if those traits begin to come out in your kids. They see that, they hear that, they feel that, they've grown up with that. For the most part, that will be an outworking in their lives. There are no guarantees, of course. Some children are, who were the most disadvantaged grew up just great, and became model citizens. There are other children who had every advantage and they grew up just to be trouble to everybody. So there are no guarantees. Some famous fathers in the Bible didn't really do well as fathers. King David, for example, was a wonderful king. He was a great musician, prolific 
writer of poems and psalms and songs. Uh, he was a great warrior, great fighter, a great general. He was all of those things and more, but he was a bad father. He was a poor father. When you read his life and you read about his children, you'll see that he was not a good father to his kids. He did not handle things well. We think of Eli the priest in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 2 and 4, and how that God had warned him again and again to deal with his two sons because the priesthood that would be in the lineage would be the sons of the previous priest. And so God warned him because he was not dealing with them. He was not treating them the way he should be. He wasn't... Uh, instructing them the right way and he wasn't chastising them either and it got to the place where God had enough he had enough and he raised up even a little boy Samuel to speak to the priest and to tell him that God was going to remove his priesthood and in one day his two sons were killed and when the word came back to old Eli he was a big heavy man and he fell backwards and broke his neck. The three of them were gone in one day. After all the warnings and warnings and warnings, he did not heed, he did not listen. And his sons were awful. They didn't even believe in, they didn't even believe in God. They wanted nothing to do with God. But they were priests and they were abusing their privileges as priests and God had enough. And so there's a tremendous responsibility in us I've often said to you about King Hezekiah, he was a good son of a bad father, and he was a good father of a bad son. So there are no guarantees, but God wants us to do our best to bring our children up in the admonition of the Lord. The Apostle Paul had no children, but he was a spiritual father to many. <coughs> Timothy was his protege. Whenever you read First and Second Timothy, when you read how he addresses the, the greeting, my beloved son Timothy, he was his spiritual son, and he was, he was like a physical son to him, and he put a lot of time and effort into Timothy's life. It's the same with Titus, who was a much older man, but he called him my son in the faith, and so he was he was a he was a spiritual father to to young men as well. And that's what we should be as spiritual men of God. We should be spiritual fathers to young men. Philemon, uh, Paul writes to uh, his business friend. He was a businessman, a Christian businessman who had a church in his house. And you remember how his slave Onesimus ran away and ended up in prison with Paul. Paul led him to Christ. And then he wrote that beautiful little letter to Philemon, that's what we see in our Bible, that's the exact letter, telling them to accept him back and not to punish him. And he, it's lovely what he says. He says, verse 10, my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. As a prisoner, I led him to Christ. He's my spiritual son. So please, Philemon, treat him well. He's now a son in Christ of mine. And so the greatest example, of course, of of fatherhood and sonship is the Father God and God the Son. And if you read John 17, uh, Jesus' great prayer for the church, 
And just if you casually read it even, you'll see what comes through is the intimacy and, and the personal relationship that Jesus had with the Father. You know, his relationship with the Father was so intimate and personal and great that whenever he prayed, when the disciples heard him praying to the Father, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. We've never been taught to pray like this. We, we don't know how to pray like this. You teach us to pray like this. And he says, Our Father who art in heaven. But if you read through John 17, you, you'll see that love that the Son had for the Father and how he obeyed him in everything and how he wanted to please him in every way possible. So it's obvious there was a great love between the Father and the Son and between the Son and the Father. And, and you remember at Jesus' baptism, how that the heavens opened and the Father spoke and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, whenever those three disciples were all excited because they saw Moses and Elijah speaking to Jesus, and they're all excited and they wanted to build little booths and stay there. And the Father said, this is my beloved Son, hear him. He's the one you need to focus on today. And so... There's no better example of the father-son relationship than God the Father and God the Son. And we can learn uh, from that. So dads, what kind of a role model should we be to our children? That's the big question. Because you are a role model. You know, one way or another, you're going to be a role model. And so better be the best role model you can be. First of all, to be the role model as a father to your children, it may sound obvious, but we should be godly. Now, I'm talking to a room full of believers, so that's obvious. But it needs emphasizing again and again. We should be godly as a father. The greatest goal that you can be, the greatest role that you can be to your child is to be godly, to give them something to look up to. Not just to be a Sunday morning Christian, but to be a seven day a week Christian. Because it's important that our children see our Christianity played out in our lives on a daily basis. If they only see it on Sunday, then what we're really saying to them is, really, it doesn't really matter. What we're really saying is, you can do whatever you like during the week, live whatever you like, but you come to church on Sunday. That doesn't work. The children see through that, and it doesn't work. It may be saying to them, all that church stuff is okay for church, but it doesn't work out in the real world. So whether it's your job, your business, your marriage, your morality, your ethics, your worldview, everything about you should be godly. That your child can look to you and say, I've got a godly father. Now, I'm specifically talking to fathers today. Thankfully, you've got godly mothers, but I've got a godly father. Someone I can look up to. Someone who loves the Lord. Someone who's living for Christ. That doesn't mean you have to be on a platform. You may have just an ordinary, everyday job. 
But they need to see Christ in you. They need to see that you love God and you serve God. A woman argued with me one time, a Christian lady. Oh, she says, I, I, I would never make my children go to Sunday school. I'd never make them go. I would never make them go to church because that might put them off. So I says, well, do you, do you follow that logic when it comes to school Monday through to Friday? Would your logic be if they didn't want to go? You just say, well, one day you can make up your own mind. And, you know, one day you can go when you feel like it, when you think you're big enough. Is that the way you would do with ordinary school? No, so I'd never think of that. I would never do that. So I says, well, do you treat ordinary school better than you treat the house of God? Is that what you're saying to me? But you see, obviously, they never thought about it that way. So we don't even send our children to church. We bring our children to church. We bring them up. Now we know they come a certain age and they've got to make up their own mind. We understand that. But as parents, it's our responsibility. And that's why we see in every dedication we do, we say the emphasis here is on the parents, not on the child. That little child doesn't even know what we're talking about. The emphasis is on the parents to bring the child up and the nurture, the admonition of the Lord and bring them to the house of God. Now they may get a certain age and say, well, I don't want church. That's their responsibility then. Ours is to bring them up in the house of God. What about devotions? Men, what about devotions when your children are growing up? You've got to take time to pray with them, read the scriptures. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. If you don't do it, you're missing out on something good. You have to do it. You say, well, I'm not very good at that. Uh, I feel awkward. I don't know what to say. And, and what if my child asked me a difficult theological question, like, why hasn't God got a wife? Or, you know, or if my hamster dies, will it go to heaven? And, you know, these great big theological questions that children come out with. What am I going to say? Find out. There are tons of resources in Christian bookshops tons of little devotionals you can take with your children. You can read the Psalms to them. You can read scriptures to them. Tons. If you really, really want to do it, if you've got the want to, then you can find the how to. But you need the want to. If you have the want to, you'll get the how to. Everything you want to do, you find out how to do it. So why should it be any different when it comes to our children and it comes to our devotions. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Paul writing to Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.15. He's a pastor now, Timothy. Paul writes to him. But you must continue in the things that you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now I have to say, in Timothy's context, it was his mother and grandmother who put that into him. But the principle hold good. And in a Christian home, 
Well, the Christian father is supposed to be the spiritual head of the home, then it is his responsibility. Thank God for mothers. Thank God for all the teaching and all the encouragement and all the scripture reading and all the prayers they put into their children. But dads, it's our responsibility. C.H. Spurgeon said, let no Christian fall into the delusion that Sunday school is intended to ease them of their personal duties. The first and foremost natural condition of things is for Christian parents to train up their own children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Jesus had an amazing knowledge of the Word of God. Even when he was on the cross suffering intense pain, he spoke the Word of God. He was able to get fitting scriptures from the Old Testament and speak them in the midst of his pain. Now you could say, well, that's because he was the Son of God or that's because he was the Word of God made flesh and he was all of that. But not just that. Because Joseph and Mary, from a very early age, would instill into him the Scriptures. Every godly Jewish family would do that. And, and growing up, they would be able to memorize memorized chapters and chapters and chapters that would be in them because it was put into them. And so when it comes to bedtime dads, don't leave it always up to mom to do it. You're missing out on something that's very precious that pleases the heart of God. As a godly father, you're supposed to lead the way. Don't let mom carry all the spiritual cans. Too many, in marriage, too many mothers are having to carry all the spiritual cans. Don't let it be in your household. Secondly, they must need to devote some time to her children. You would say, well, even in this day and age, you may be the, the earner in the household. You may be the one that's going to go out every day, work hard, do your job, run your business, uh, having to work late, have a long commute home, and when you get home, you want your downtime, your me time. But when you get home, your children want their uptime. <laughs> they don't want you to be downtime, they want uptime. And they have a million things they want to say to you and share with you. So you've got to make time. Now there are exceptions, there's times when it's understandably, justifiably busy and things has got to be done we, and you can get out of it, we understand that. But you've got to make some time because if you don't, Believe me, they grow up very, very quickly. And if you don't make time for them when they're five or six or seven, they not, may not make time for you when they're 14, 15, 16, 17. Maybe too late. And then you wish you had have done it. I remember Claire wasn't very big at the time. And her, her cousin, a couple of her cousins, I remember taking them up 
the fields, because we used to live near fields in a river. And she'll remember this, taking up the fields to look for birds' nests. And crossing the river, the waterfall. If her mother had known we were doing that, she'd have had a canary. But we had our wellies on, so we were okay. And uh, all those little things, or gathering berries, just simple, silly little things. But the memories are you're making memories. You're doing stuff. Now, my, my father loved me. I, I had no doubt he loved me. And he was a hard, physical worker. But I can't remember ever, ever once, can't remember him ever doing anything with me. Ever. So I, I have no recollection of... And we, we lived beside the river. We were brought up beside the field. I have no recollection ever of taking me fishing, going to the river, going up the fields, looking for rabbits, mushrooms. None. Never happened. Didn't mean he didn't love me, but it seemed to be that generation especially, so busy working, so busy earning a crust because he was the only earner. There's three mouths, four mouths to feed, five to feed. He had to work hard to do that, but never saw the time to spend with us. It was always mum or the older sisters. So make sure that you spend some times with your kids. I'm sure I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Uh, one time there was a very famous uh, preacher in America. He had a huge uh, satellite network. TV was on 24-7 had built this massive place. It was like a holiday resort for Christians. They could buy a timeshare in it. It was like a Disneyland for Christians with a church in the middle of it and all the rest of it. But at some point he got into trouble. There's financial irregularities. Things all went pear-shaped. Long story short, he ended up in prison. It was the talk of the... It was in all the world news. It was everywhere. He ended up in prison. Years later, when he got out of prison, he wrote a book about it. His book was called, I Was Wrong. I Was Wrong. And he said, to my shame, my son at 18 years old came to visit me in prison. And he says, that was the first time I ever spent a whole day with my son. And he was 18 years old, and it was in prison. I had to go to prison to do it. Did that affect that child? Absolutely. That child went wild. Disaster. Don't know if he's ever got back on track again. But he's, the father says, but he says, I never spent one day with my own child for eight I was so busy working for God that I hadn't time for my own son. And that's wrong. And God doesn't want that. No one has ever said in their deathbed, I wish I'd have spent more time at the office. <laughs> I know it's a cliche, but it's true, isn't it? It's so true. Your life is gone. You look back and say, what was it all about? Yes, we provide. Yes, we're supposed to. Yes, we have to. All of that. But our children will grow up. And the things they will remember is not the things that we got them. It's what we were to them. It's not the presence. It's our presence. That's what they really want.
Thirdly, be a positive influence. Henry Ford, the great car manufacturer, was at a dinner one night and somebody buttonholed him. They said, Mr. Ford, who is your best friend? Is it so-and-so? Is it him? Is it her? He says, no, it's none of those. But he says, I'll simply tell you who my best friend is. My best friend is the one who brings out the best in me. He says, that's my best friend. Our children will remember us if we bring out the best in them. And we need to bring out the best in them. Queen Victoria one time spoke of her impressions about her two most famous prime ministers. William Gladstone, she said, when I am with him, I feel I am with one of the most important leaders in the world. But when I'm with Benjamin Disraeli, he makes me feel that I am one of the most important leaders in the world. That's what she remembered. So how do we make our children feel? Important? Do we build them up? Do we affirm them? Are we positive with them? The words that we say can make a big difference. Proverbs 25 and 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Proverbs 1, 8 and 9, my son, hear the instruction of your father. Do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. So the words that we say will influence, will have ramifications. Yes, we have to chastise our children. Yes, we have to say no. And they don't like that. And they press all the buttons. And they push the envelope. And they see how far they can go. And they see, does a boundary really mean a boundary? How often the little one's grown up and you says, no. And they've turned around and just did the exact opposite of what you told them. They're testing you to see, does your no really mean no? Because if it doesn't really mean no, they'll just keep on doing it. But they want to know what are my boundaries. And when they grow up into the real world out there, they better know their boundaries or they're going to be in big trouble. This is a wicked, this is a dangerous world that we live in. So we must try all we can to educate them, make them wise. But overall, we try to be positive and affirming as much as we can. And then fourthly, we've got to love them unconditionally. Unconditionally doesn't mean that we agree with everything they do at all times. doesn't mean we accept their foolishness or their sinfulness, if that would be the case. But it does mean we never stop loving them. It means that we should be a refuge for them when they fail or they get into trouble, that our door is opened, that it's not closed. Many a father and mother has closed the door and lived their life regretting it. Our door needs to be open. 
Our love for our children is not predicated on performance. God's love for us is not predicated on performance. If it was, we would be in trouble. Because if we perform really, really well, we would get proud. See what I've done, God? You really love me because of what I have done? No, no. Or if he weren't performing very well, we could be despairing. And say, I'm useless. What good would I be to God? But his love for us is not predicated on any of those things. It's purely on grace. He loves us because he loves us. Now, he would chastise us because he loves us. We need chastise, and he'll chastise us. But again, it's out of love because he loves us. Sometimes our children disappoint us. Have to be honest. But that doesn't mean we love them any the less. I'm sure we disappointed our parents. <laughs> Would you agree? Mm, some of you, I'm not too sure. But they were gracious enough to forgive us. I think all of us as parents, we, we for sure want the best for our children. We want them to do well, to succeed, to make their mark in life. But what if they're not, what if he's not academically minded? Hmm? What if she is just that little bit rounder and shorter than the tall, skinny one? What if they don't get a degree? What if they never win a medal? What if they have two left feet and couldn't score a goal of us to save their life? Does that make me stop loving them? Of course not. We love them anyway. Yes, we want them to do their best. Yes, we encourage them. Yes, we try to help them. Yes, sometimes we give them a push in the right direction. But if they don't cut the mustard, we still love them anyway. Why? Because they're ours. They're our children. So relationship, not performance, is the goal. So, fathers today, let us be men who praise, who bless, who encourage, who show grace, who are positive, who influence for good with our children. A little well-aimed praise can go a long way, can't it? Was it Mark Twain who said, I can go a whole month on a good compliment? <laughs> We all like complimented, don't we? It just gives you that little bit of a, hmm, thank you. One night a father overheard his son pray, Dear God, make me the kind of man my daddy is. Later that night the father prayed, Dear God, make me the kind of man my son wants me to be. It's a high standard, isn't it? And all of us as fathers have failed some of the standards. But I trust that our heart is to do better, to raise up the standard. Don't know who wrote this little poem. Author is an unknown. <laughs> 
is called to any daddy. There are little eyes upon you that are watching day and night. There are little ears that quickly take in every word you say. There are little hands also eager to do everything you do. And a little boy who's dreaming of the day he'll be like you. You're the little fellow's idol. You're the wisest of the wise. In his little mind about you, no suspicions ever rise. He believes in you devoutly, holds all that you say and do. He will say and do in your way too when he's grown up like you. There's a little wide-eyed fellow who believes you're always right. And his ears are always open and he watches day and night. You're setting an example every day in all that you do for the little boy who's waiting to grow up to be like you. Let me close by saying this. I've been focusing on fathers, not forgetting mothers. But what if you're a single parent? What if you're father and mother? Are your mother and father? And everything is counting on you. That's a big thing, isn't it? And so for somebody who's single for whatever reason and has to raise up a child, that's a massive thing to do. And if they do it well, and that child grows up a balanced child, that is a wonderful, wonderful success to be able to do that. And you have to tip your hat to somebody in that position because it must be really, really hard when you're the one who has to carry all the cans. Suddenly, you're left to do it. You've never been taught how to do it. You had to learn fast, but you did. And things are turning out well. So God bless you if you're in that position. So dads, this is Father's Day. Let's be good dads. Not perfect dads, because we can't be. But good dads. Do all that we can do to help our kids. Let's pray. Let me pray for you fathers this morning, especially. Lord God, I thank you for every father under the sound of my voice. Maybe not in this room, but maybe on a podcast somewhere. And Lord, you have given them an awesome responsibility. And Lord, if they are struggling in this position and they need help and wisdom, Lord, you are gracious to give it. You will give them the wisdom and the strength they need to be a good father. So Lord, bless them today. Let them know, Lord, that you love them, that you care for them in their role as a father. And may their influence to their children, Lord, be great. And may their children grow up and remember. And Lord, if mistakes has happened in the past, if things have gone wrong, and they're in the place of rebuilding a relationship, we pray, Lord, that you would give the grace to do that that you would give the grace, Lord, to rebuild relationships. So we give you thanks for this. 
thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.